Hey, Kings. What's up, good people? This is Sharonna Reeves. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast, and it's so good to be back this week with a new episode. This week, we're talking about leadership. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you that I had with Alfonso Alexander. But before we get into today's episode, I want to give a big shout out of thank yous to all of you who listened to the final four episodes. We had a part one and a part two. If you are new to these three things podcast and you have not listened to the final four episodes, let me give you a little snippet of what those two episodes are about. In the final four episodes, I share uh, with a group of my teammates our experience from the 1994 Women's Final Four. We were players at the University of Alabama. It was a crazy season. For the first time in over 30 years, 28 years, I think, to be exact, we actually sat down and talked about that season for the first time. And our head coach, a guy by the name of Rick Moody, joined us for that episode to uh, share his perspective on how it all affected him. And so if you're a sports person, please go back and listen to the episode. It's going to be some good laughs in there. And you probably should grab some tissue because there's going to be some moments where you're definitely going to maybe cry. Okay. Now, now what else did I want to discuss in today's pre-show? Queens, did I tell y'all that I met Oprah? <laughs> yes, the Oprah Winfrey. Photo conversation, the whole nine. Let me tell y'all how it happened. My daughter this May, uh, this past May, May 6th to be exact, 2023, my daughter graduated from Tennessee State University, political science major. Oprah is a graduate of Tennessee State University, not by degree. She became an honorary graduate because while Oprah was a student at Tennessee State University, she got a job as a reporter at the local news, then got a promotion and was an anchor. And from there, her career just really took off and there wasn't time for her to finish uh, the few classes that she had left for her degree. So years later, after Oprah became Oprah, uh, Tennessee State granted her with an honorary degree. But for years, the president of Tennessee State University, Dr. Glenda Glover, had been reaching out to Oprah and asking Oprah to come back and do a commencement speech. And so for the past 11 years, the president had been reaching out and Oprah had been saying no. Now, I only know this because Oprah shared this with us before she gave the commencement speech. So not even a thought in my mind do I think I'm ever going to get close enough to actually meet the Oprah Winfrey, right? So I'm just standing there at the stadium waiting for the uh, graduation to begin. I haven't sat down in my seat yet because I'm just looking around trying to see if I can see my daughter and where she's going to be sitting or whatever. So I gradually turn and look to my left and about 15 feet away from me is Oprah. She doesn't have a crowd of security around her. As a matter of fact, she had zero security that I could see because trust me, I'm looking around thinking, okay, is there a possibility that I can get over there and say hello to her? She had three or four administrators with in full, you know, graduation gear, caps, gowns, the whole nine standing around her next to her. But she's just kind of standing there waiting for them to usher her up onto the stage. So the next thing I know, I'm walking over there in her direction. I don't know what my, my feet just decided it's now or never. And today is, is the day. So I'm walking over to her, but then I get there so far and then I stop. And I pick up my phone to start recording and she turns and looks at me and she says, motions for me to come over. And y'all, I don't even know, like everything just went, everything just, I, I lost it all after that. I literally walked over to her 
And I am trying to remember after 30 something years of loving this woman, all the things that I had purposed myself to tell her if I ever saw her. And I can't remember none of it, y'all. And I'm like trying to get my phone on the camera so that I can actually take the picture because she's just standing there waiting for me to get my camera together while I tell her how my college teammates told me don't get arrested trying to meet her and she chuckled when I said that and I told her how I used to watch her on VCR before after basketball practice every day and how much I have loved her for years and so while I'm in the middle of trying to tell her all that and get my phone because I can't think and make this doggone camera on this phone work for nothing y'all so she grabs the phone and in her Oprah Winfrey voice might I add, which was very deep in person. She says to me, wait, I think we need to turn it this way. So she takes my phone, turns it sideways and angles it. And she was like, yeah, I think this is a good angle and takes the picture. (laughs) Oprah Winfrey had my phone in her hand, my phone in her hand and took the picture, you guys. So I thanked her for taking the picture, told her that I loved her, and it was such an honor to meet her. And I thank her for all that she has done for our culture and our people and for this country and for just people in general all over the world, how much I appreciate and love her. And she says, well, thank you. And I love you too. Oprah Winfrey told me she loved me, y'all. I floated back to the stands. My feet didn't even touch the ground. As a matter of fact, if you didn't get to talk to Oprah, please do not talk to me for the rest of this graduation. If you didn't meet Oprah, please (laughs) do not even acknowledge me. And that's really how I felt. But, you know, our people, I love us dearly. No sooner than I got back to my seat in those stands, I can't tell you how many people was like, I saw you get that picture with Oprah, girl. I saw you walk over there, girl. I was thinking I should get up and walk too. And it was just a great day. I got to see my daughter graduate with her bachelor's degree from Tennessee State University where she had an amazing experience. And I got to meet the Oprah Winfrey. Let's go ahead and get into today's episode on leadership with Alfonso Alexander. In this episode, Alfonso and I only scratched the surface on all the things that you could talk about in regards to leadership. As a matter of fact, by the time we got to the end of this episode, we realized that it may be a great idea to actually do an episode on leadership once a month to just answer my listeners' questions, those of you who are in leadership roles, those of you who may have questions or concerns or ideas or thoughts. So we're putting something together to make sure that that happens. But in the meantime, go ahead and check out this episode with Alfonso Alexander on leadership. Enjoy. For almost a century, Scarrett Bennett Center's historic Gothic campus has been a choice location for dream weddings in Nashville. Consistently rated one of Music City's best places to get married by The Knot, Wedding Wire, and Toast of Nashville, Scarrett Bennett Center offers three timeless venues for your wedding, a 20-person elopement chapel, a 300-person wedding chapel, and a breathtaking garden. From rehearsal to reception, Scarrett Bennett Center is ready to help you create the intimate, historic wedding of your dreams. Visit our website at scarrettbennett.org forward slash weddings for more information. 
Hey, this is Sharana Reeves. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast, and I am with Alfonso Alexander. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership and all forms of leadership, communication involved with leadership, words associated with leadership. Alfonso and I are both former college athletes, so we're going to get into the athletics world and the leadership surrounding that as well. But without further ado, let me introduce Alfonso to you guys again. Many of you may remember him from the Kings of Nashville episode where we talked about marriage and divorce and dating. Alfonso Alexander, welcome to These Three Things. Man, thank you. I'm excited to be here. And I love that that overwhelming applause you guys gave me. So that makes me feel even better. It's a lot of people in the room. I hear you. It's I hear you. It's a lot you. of people I love here. It. I see you. To listen to you talk today. Okay, so you have been an entrepreneur pretty much since I've known you. So can Probably you just so. break down to my guests, like, all that is you and all that you've done professionally and um, why – we're talking with you today about leadership. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm really a serial entrepreneur. I started my first business back when I was in high school and then mowing lawns like a whole lot of other people have done. And then, you know, went to college on a scholarship, so didn't have to pay for college. But one summer, I, uh, my last summer, I didn't have an internship because I was graduating at the end of that summer, but I needed some money. So I then started my second business, which was a automobile detailing business. So I detailed a lot of folks' cars around <laughs> Murfreesboro at that point while I was waiting to get started in my corporate career, finishing up those last couple of classes during summer school. So from that point on, after I graduated from college, I really have just about always had my foot in both the corporate door and the entrepreneurial door. And that the way that manifested is I started out just doing some things kind of as a as a favor to some friends of mine that were entrepreneurial, uh, some of their entrepreneurial ventures, I should say. And that was in the space of human resources and some things like that that I worked in in the corporate arena. Mm -hmm. And then thought, wait a minute, I can monetize this. So then started my first consultancy back in 1995. So... I would be doing HR-related consulting, some strategy work on a small scale, a lot of training and so forth. And then as it has just continued. So today, I'm really semi-retired from the corporate side and doing the entrepreneurial work in a more full-time manner. I still work with a corporate entity in a small capacity where I'm doing some part-time things at the executive level with them, okay. leading diversity, equity, and inclusion, and ethics and compliance work within the organization, but then also running Alexander Success Group, which is my consulting firm that we started uh, back really, really in 1995. And it has morphed over the years and, and doing very different things, but we focus now on a couple things. One is any kind of human capital development. So we can do some things to help develop leaders. And that's a passion area of mine, particularly leading in a way that is ethical. Mm -hmm. And then also we do strategy work. And sometimes as an outcome of that, I may work with the board of directors of a company or the original founders of a company and end up serving as an interim CEO or interim president of the organization 
until we get some things fixed and then hire the right person for the permanent solution. And so I get involved in a variety of things, but if I really had to narrow it down to say what I do is I help leaders who own businesses or run businesses be better leaders and help them improve their businesses by working through the people that they lead. And so it's a mixture of a lot of things, but it's fun work. That's so good. I love all of that. Like that is, you know, I listen to you and you talk about in high school, you were already like figuring out ways to make money, figuring out ways to be an entrepreneur. Did you understand then back when you were mowing lawns and detailing cars that that was leadership in you, that was entrepreneurship in you? I, I probably didn't understand it to that extent at that point. Mm -hmm. But what I knew was I wanted things or wanted to do things and my mother didn't have the means to necessarily allow me to do them. So I was like, well, I got to figure out a way to be able to get the income myself legitimately. Right. And, <laughs> and so I can do these things. And right. so that's where it, that was where the drive came from. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I believe that part of who I am is I have this incredible drive to succeed mm -hmm. in regardless of what it is. I'm very competitive, all of that stuff. So if I want something, then I try to figure out a way and utilize my drive to go get it. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been in me all along. All so, along. yeah, yeah. So with that being said, I want to ask you a question that I'm sure you've probably answered a million times before. Are leaders born leaders or can leaders be made that that's a a trick question so <laughs> you know I, I don't know that there's a real right or wrong answer to that I will tell you I believe that the best leaders have a combination of some things that they were born with and they've added some additional skills on top of that so let's break that down for a minute there's some people that naturally gravitate toward leadership opportunities and roles. And that's because there's some instincts, some innate things in them that they just end up leading. And so then there are others who hard work, execution, winning, helps them become leaders. Two different tracks, but people can lead mm -hmm. based on either one of those tracks. I believe the best leaders are the ones who had those innate things already and they put hard work, execution, wins, etc., put those things together and now they're the outstanding leaders. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I fit on that spectrum, but what I can tell you is that I have served and do serve on a lot of boards and other organizational involvement opportunities come my way. And I try to, and used to try to run from getting involved in leadership related things with those entities. And it's something that happens, something people see in me or whatever it is that I almost always in a much faster time than anybody would expect end up being in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partially because of that innate piece that I've been gifted with. And I just try to add the hard work to it 
so that I can continue to grow and excel and make whatever that entity I'm involved in better. Why were you trying to run away from anything involved in leadership? You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. 100 black men of Middle Tennessee, I'm actively involved in that organization. I used to chair that organization, right? So I joined that organization and the individual, individual that sponsored me, I told him, I said, hey man, look, I just wanna come in and just be a member for at least a couple years and then I'll get involved in something directly. Just let me come in and engage. He said, okay, cool, I think that's a great idea. I agree with you. Three months later, he comes to me and says, hey man, um, we need Three a treasurer. Months. Three months, right? <laughs> Not two years. We need a treasurer. You understand P&Ls. You understand um, balance sheets, all of the things financial related. Can you serve as our treasurer for the rest of my term as chair? because we really need you. And I said, man, you remember the conversation we had three months ago? <laughs> yeah, but we really need you. Fast forward, three years later, I was the chair of the organization. So I had not even been in the organization five years yet and ended up being the chair. And because of the structure that the chair before me and I built together, and the commitment and things that we had, his leadership, my leadership, we had two very successful terms as a result of that. And that's just how it happens. And so at one point, God said, man, quit trying to run from it. Right. If I put the opportunity in front of you, just go with it. Right. So that's what I do now. And so you've just leaned into that now. I accept it and yeah. do the best I can. Yeah. I know you and I have talked previously and we talked about uh, people being task-driven leaders and people-driven leaders. Mm -hmm. Talk mm -hmm. about the difference in the two. Yeah, so there's a concept um, that is called the WAKE concept, mm -hmm. W-A-K-E. And, you know, we often will hear the term in the wake of a tornado or the wake of something like that. Right. And, and literally what that means is the aftermath, right? Mm -hmm. So that term, though, is originated in a nautical sense. The wake is actually the way the water moves after a boat goes through. And so well, when a captain is driving a boat, part of how people can judge that captain's ability is by looking at that wake that's left behind the boat in the water. Mm -hmm. If it's symmetrical and everything is even, it's balanced, that's an indication that that captain is really in good control of the boat, mm -hmm. okay? So Dr. Henry Cloud uses an example in one of his books of the wake, and he talks about the people side of leadership and the task side of leadership. Mm -hmm. And the task side is really focused on completing tasks, quantitative analysis, numbers, performance, et cetera, and that task side is very important. But then the people side is focused on relationships, is focused on engagement, is focused on helping people grow and improve. And the best leaders strike a great balance. So their wake, the aftermath of them dealing with the people that they lead, is balanced. A good amount of things on the task side and a good amount of things on the people side. And so that's one of the concepts that he talks about in his book. I use it a lot in workshops and things that I do. Mm -hmm. 
So when working with uh, leaders across this country, which I know that you have, what do you see more of? You mean task versus people? Yes. Um, I've never really thought about that. I, I probably see a pretty even distribution, quite honestly. I think at varying levels, you have more of one versus the other. Yeah. But as you get higher and higher in an organization, you either have a leader at the top that has a good balance of both, mm -hmm. or if they don't have a great, a great amount on one side, mm -hmm. the number two person offsets that person. So if you've got a very charismatic leader who fires up and energizes people that he or she leads, then normally the number two person is really very much a task-oriented kind of person, and they work the balance there. So it's almost an opportunity for the leader to identify his or her strengths, and then based on those strengths, find somebody who can offset them with strengths in areas where they're not as strong. And I think that's also a good sign of a great leader. Yeah. Self-awareness and being able to accept that. Right. And then put in place some mechanisms to take care of where you're not as strong. Right. Any time you see this is an area that's not a great strength of mine, you have to figure out a way to compensate for it. Yeah. The, in my opinion, you can be competent in a weak area if you put a lot of time and effort in it. But if you want to be great, you get more strength by being greater in the areas that you're already good in. Mm -hmm. And then figure out ways to help compensate by getting other people or systems or processes or something to take care of the things that you're weak in. You do need to be competent in them. So if you're not a people person or people leader, if that side of it, the relationship side of it is a weakness area for you, make effort, I think, to do some things in that space, but you've got to have a number two person who's great at that. And so that that's, that's my opinion. Okay, so you mentioned when we first started talking that you went to college on a scholarship. Right, right, right. Uh, student athlete? Yes. Football. Football. Yes, yes. football. The sport. Oh, the sport. Yeah. Okay, so as a former athlete myself, and you and I already kind of know this about each other, but I think some of the conversation that we've had uh, outside of this podcast and off camera, um, I'd love to share with my listeners. How important do you think coaches are in shaping athletes? I think they're very important, but before I answer that, can I tell your sure. listeners one thing one time? Sure. You know, you were a standout basketball player, great basketball player. I think we played once and I beat you, though, one time. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make really? sure everybody knows that. Uh, that is not true. And anybody who knows me knows that that is not true. I don't lose, but it's a nice try. You don't lose. You only win or learn, probably, right? Pretty much. You had a learning that day, didn't you? No. You had a lesson you learned. <laughs> I learned that you were not a basketball player. Oh, okay. And thank God that you played football. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think a crossover was messing you up and making you mad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think it was uh, 
you bring that little Isaiah Thomas crossover in here. And I actually don't remember this. Did you beat me for real? Yeah, I did. Holloway Gym. <laughs> Six Ward, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The borough. Hot. It was hot. No was AC. Hot. Never. Yeah. Yeah. In Holloway, never. Yeah. But your question about coaches and do they shape who you are or what you do, uh, I think is – is absolutely yes. Coaches have a significant amount of influence on athletes and their mentality and their approach to things both on and off the field or court or whatever it is, it's, it's major. And so I've always watched coaches, particularly since I finished playing and looked at their style and how they do things. And based on that, oftentimes I can tell you if they're gonna be successful or not. Mm. Um, because I, I can understand the leadership that it takes from a coaching standpoint to be able to get people to execute at the level that they need to. And some coaches fail because of the lack of the administrative side of things. It's not necessarily due to the game and how they interact with the right. teammates. Mm -hmm. But many coaches uh, have an opportunity to be really powerful in terms of how they can get players to do things if they utilize that that ability well and when you say you can usually tell if a coach is going to be successful mm -hmm. is that because you have paid attention to or watched how they communicate is it based That's off of their communication part of it is communication part of it is is how they discipline mm. or how they get athletes to do what they need them to do mm -hmm. because if you think about leadership really is is about influence and so if I'm influencing somebody to do something, I'm really leading them. Correct. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. right? And so coaches are always influencing athletes to do something. I mean, I, I go sometimes and I try to go run a gasser, which mm -hmm. a lot of people may not know what a gasser <laughs> is, but in football, that's one of the things that you do for conditioning training. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you start on one side of the football field you go and run all the way to the other side, touch the line, and come back, touch that line where you started, go back, and then come back again. So you're making four trips across a football field, and a football field is 53 yards wide. So you're running over 200 yards, and you have to do that as part of conditioning. When I was an athlete, coaches – figured out ways to get us to run gases, right? As a former athlete, as something that I knew used to help me get in shape, mm -hmm. I've tried to do that on my own without a coach out there, and I might get one, and I'm like, man, this ain't worth it. <laughs> I'll figure out another way. So a coach influenced me mm -hmm. to be able to get me to do that, as well as other things. And so that's really a part of what they do. And, and sometimes I felt good about running gases. Right. So I'm like, What's that about, right? Mm -hmm. It's about leadership mm -hmm. and influence. When I was a young girl growing up in the borough playing basketball and my coaches and the things that they said to me and how those things affected me and what I took from it and what I still remember today as a 50-something-year-old woman, words that were spoken to me when I was 12, 13, 14, do you share those same experiences just from the, you know, the athletics world from the football piece do you still have memories of things that coaches have said to you over the years that stuck with you, that made you, and words that you felt like could have 
gone a different direction if you had processed them a certain way. Absolutely. I have a couple of examples. So when I was in middle school, that was when I first had a coach who like just encouraged the heck out of me, right? And so he encouraged me on the field. He encouraged me in the classroom and everything. And he told me, man, you're a great football player. You're a great quarterback. At that time, prior to that, I was playing quarterback. I was playing running back. I was playing defensive back. One year, I might play all three. I just kept – I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And this man encouraged me. He – told me I was great, that this was my space. He told me to throw a football every day. He gave me one of the school's old footballs so I would have a football at home so I could practice throwing every day. He told me to get a tire and throw the football through that tire every day. And then he checked back and I didn't have a tire. So he went and found a tire somewhere, gave me that tire. He checked back later, and I told him that I was standing the tire up on the ground and throwing it into the ground, and he said, no, that's not going to help you develop what you want to develop. You need to hang it from a tree. So he came to my house and helped me hang it from a tree. And even when I got in high school, so he was no longer my coach, he encouraged me. Then he started talking to me about academics Mm. and about how I could be great both on the football field and off the football field and he kept up with me throughout my high school through my college years sometimes uh he and i still communicate sometimes we share the same birthday he's much older now so his health isn't great Mm -hmm. but he really significantly encouraged me and at a time where i didn't have people that knew to pour into my life with that level of encouragement my coach did so even in, when I got in high school or college, if other coaches said some things to me that didn't have that same positive impact, I would go back to some mm-hmm. of the things that he told me. And I'm like, you know what? Let me knock this out, right? Uh, on the contrary, I had a coach in high school one time. I, uh, I went to a very large high school that was always very good in football. Mm-hmm. And if you got a chance to start as a sophomore – you had to be pretty good at something, right? So I ended up starting my sophomore year. And as a result of that, I decided to focus on football. I was playing football and basketball at first and then decided, you know, football is my ticket, so I'm going to focus on football. And I remember one day riding home. A coach was giving me a a ride home, and I asked the coach. Now, this is after I'd started – all except the first game of the season, my sophomore year. And now I am the starting quarterback for this school, going to be my junior year and senior year as well, right? Right. So that's a big deal. And uh, I asked him, I said, you think think I can play college ball? And he said, no, I think you're too slow. So I quit basketball that day, went and signed up for track. And during the offseason, I ran track because this man told me that I was too slow. And I was like, oh, heck no, you got me messed up. Right. So the irony of that is I did get a college scholarship. I went as a quarterback. 
Then because of an injury I had where I broke my hand, I moved over and played defensive back. And if anybody knows about football, you know that the defensive backs have to be some of the quickest and or fastest people on the field right. at all times. Right. So this man didn't really know who I was. He didn't know how God had created me, and he didn't know that I had enough grind in me. So he told me I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I ended up lettering three years out of my four years in college. I uh, had an injury one year, which is where I broke my hand and had to move. But uh, that drove me. That negativity really drove me. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast with Alfonso Alexander on leadership. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this episode of These Three Things Podcast. Here's how you can stay connected after the show. Follow at These Three Things Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. On Facebook at These Three Things P. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and if you like what you've been hearing, leave a review. Oh, I love the awareness at 16. I mean, you know, you probably wouldn't say, but you were definitely a born leader. Like, I'm, I'm positive I'm not the first person to tell you that, but just listening to how you process and how quickly you can make decisions that are in your best interest to get you to where you're trying to go. For someone who spent 20 years coaching uh, student athletes, I can probably, I could probably take two hands over 20 years, but maybe not three to remember the kids who were like that. Mm-hmm. who were just strategic in their thoughts. They knew the decision that needed to be made and was quick to make it. And they're all like doing really well as adults now, all really just natural leaders, people who just process things very well. So, you know, d- people process things differently, right? right? So when something hurts you, you process it, and then you have a chance to react. I've learned about myself is, what I've learned about myself is that when I get hurt by something, mm-hmm. I don't get emotional and cry and go into a sadness component. I'm not knocking people that do. Some people need to cleanse that way. When I get hurt by something, I get mad. Yeah. And then when I get mad, then that says, okay, I'm not going to need to be sitting here mad for a long time. Let me figure out how to process this and move on. Yeah. And so I was mad when I heard him say that because it hurt me. But then I said, okay, well, let me figure out how to process this and move on. So the two things I did was, as I told you, I switched from basketball to track. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I made sure I buckled down academically so that if he was right, then I had an academic scholarship route that I could go as well. Right. And and those were the two solutions that came to me as a result of that feedback. Okay. So from now three years of doing a podcast, I want to tell you something. I want to respond to some things that you said. Uh, I think it's a normal male thing to respond with anger when hurt. I think that's a normal male thing. But I will tell you something that is different that you said that I have not heard in a lot of males is that you understood or you understand at some point that I have to process this anger, though. Like, I just can't walk around and be mad about this situation forever. Right. I don't think that that's always the case. I think some people, just in my conversations, I'm not talking about all men, so people, please do not email me, do not reach out to me and, you know, want to fight me over this comment. (laughs) But I do feel like that sometimes 
just in the conversations that I've had with men who have come on the show, that they tend to hold the anger, the processing of, okay, well, I've got to deal with this and decide how I'm going to move forward with it. Um, we don't always get to that point. Have you ever had therapy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, gosh. We need to do a whole we need to do a, a whole episode just on that. Cause Let's do it. I, I will tell you, I believe that everybody should go and get therapy at least once every three years. Yes. Go through a cycle. And if you work at a company, they probably have an EAP program, so you can get it for free. Yeah. Confidentially, go get it. It's the only time where you get a chance to sit and talk with somebody for an hour and the whole subject is just you. And they don't care because they don't have any biases for or against you. They're just there to help you think and process. And it is, it, I mean, it's like getting a full body massage mentally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think people should do it. Um, I started doing it when I was in college. I took a psychology class. And for extra credit, the master's students needed to get their hours. So the professor said, if you go and have a therapy session, then you get X number of points of extra credit. So I went and it was helpful. Yeah. And then later in my career, I was like, you know what? I need to go do this. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's helpful for everybody to do it. I do, too. I swear about therapy. Those who listen to these three things podcast know that I am about therapy. I suggested I've had therapists on my show. Um, I am an advocate for therapy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah me, too. Yeah. Me too. You know, you ask me about my experience in hearing coaches and, and things that coaches have said that either encouraged me or discouraged me. What about you? You're an athlete. Did you ever have that experience? Absolutely. I, I absolutely have. And I, and I thank you for asking that question because, you know, just recently, January of this year, I got inducted into my high school hall of fame. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Oakland high school in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. <laughs> OHS. Got to put to figure OHS out why on. you didn't, have that applause why people didn't clap when I said Riverdale maybe they'll do it now Riverdale High School that's all right I'm gonna have you on my podcast show one day we'll we'll pay you back for that <laughs> so yeah like I I um just got inducted into my um high school hall of fame and in the past two years I have buried two of my uh my elementary coach and my high school coach, oh, uh, wow. they have both passed away. And I had an opportunity to speak at my elementary coach's funeral. And I think, you know, sometimes when we're just living life, we don't really think back on things. But it took me to thinking back to my elementary coach. His name was Johnny Jones. Um, he coached me from sixth grade to eighth grade. He was a major piece of why I freaking loved the game of basketball. This was in the uh, late 70s. He was my coach, white man. I went to, I was probably one of maybe eight black kids that went to my elementary school, okay? You know I'm from the country, so it was out in the country. It was only like maybe eight black kids that went to our elementary school. Uh, Johnny Jones was the first person first white person that I can remember that never made me feel different for being black mm. as a matter of fact 
all of us, all of the black kids who played for him, that is all our story. Like he treated everyone the same. Mm -hmm. So I grow up uh, in the elementary school system where I have a great coach who's teaching me the game. I'm learning the game. And he's so encouraging, telling me, you know, what I can be. And, you know, everyone who knows, listens to the show knows people call me Bebe. He would say, Bebe, you know, if you work hard on this, I, I don't see anybody that can stop you. Mm -hmm. Well, that I don't see anybody can stop you would motivate me to no end. Like I'm Absolutely. shooting basketball all night long in, in the backyard because I'm like, nobody can stop me. Mm -hmm. I like how that sounds. Right. So I'm working. He built me up in such a way, Fonz, that. I had no doubt in me, Sure. no doubt in me. So fast forward to leaving elementary school and I'm going to high school now, my freshman year in high school, I get a new coach, a guy by the name of Ben Cates. Ben Cates, I absolutely loved. I went to elementary school with his son, David. David and I were in the same class. He used to come and watch all of our games because David played on the boys' basketball team. So I knew that Coach Cates was the girls' basketball coach at Oakland, and I was the varsity coach. And I was thinking, man, one day I'm going to get to play for Coach Cates. And he was always very complimentary of me when he'd see me and say, I can tell you've been working hard or whatever. And so I get to Oakland High School freshman year. Um, we're working out. We go to summer camp at Tennessee Tech. Mm. Team camp. We go to a team camp at Tennessee Tech. Yep. And right before the camp, we're on the bus ride riding up to Tennessee Tech. And Coach Cates comes and sits beside, sits beside me. And he says, Alexander, I've been watching you work. He said, and you're going to be one of the best players ever play at Oakland High School. He said, and you know what? You're not going to play with the freshmen at this team camp. You're going to play with the varsity team. Now, I'm a freshman, Fonz, and right. I'm listening to him tell me this. Sure, sure. So I'm like, oh, my God, now I'm nervous. I'm a nervous wreck because I'm thinking, you know, but he's given, he's he's spoken so much into me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, he thinks if I can do it, I'll do it. Right. So um, we get to camp. He uh, not only moves me up to the varsity team, he puts me in the starting lineup. Oh, wow. Wow. Summer camp. Okay. Starting lineup, fresh out of a country elementary school. Right, right. I'm now at Oakland High School. So for those of you who are listeners and you're not familiar with Murfreesboro, Tennessee, back when Fonz and I grew up, there were only two high schools in right. Murfreesboro. It was either Oakland or it was Riverdale. So you can imagine in a city where there's only two high schools, the it was it was they were both big high schools. Now in our town, it's like eight high schools. Right. Yeah. Right. Murfreesboro's grown crazy crazy but back then it was either oakland or riverdale yeah it was about two thousand students in both and easy back then easily yeah easily yeah. and so to leave a country elementary school and go to the other biggest high school in the city and become a varsity starter as a freshman you know their words from johnny jones to ben cates their words propelled me sure they made me believe in myself yeah well on the opposite side of what we've been talking about, how their words propelled me. At the end of my freshman year, Coach Cates comes to me, comes to me and tells me he's going to retire. Mm. Oh, wow. He's going to retire. Yeah. So I was devastated because, like, I could imagine nothing more than playing for this man for the next three years. In my mind, I have it all laid out, like, Coach Cates is going to help me get here and I'm going to get here, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, all things basketball – and I'm like, well, Coach Case, why are you retiring? He said, because every year I say it's going to be my last year and another you comes along. <laughs> and he's like, if I don't ever end it, 
at some point, I'll never get out of it. I'll never retire. I'll never walk away from this thing. Sure. So he walks away. I get another coach. This coach doesn't know me. He doesn't know my family. He doesn't have any ties to my little elementary school or anything that I've known before. And his words were not the same. Mm-hmm. And I found myself doing exactly what you said that you did. I had to recall the words of Coach Jones mm-hmm. and Coach Cates right. for the next two years of my high school's career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just remember how differently it affected me and mentally how much more I had to fight mm-hmm. to continue to believe in myself because I knew that the person that I was playing for didn't necessarily believe in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or or I think sometimes didn't even like me. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if he really liked me, to be honest. Sure, sure. But I can definitely relate to um, needing to fall back on words that encouraged you mm-hmm. in times when people say things to you that are not the best. Right, And right. as a coach, if I can just segue into just my experience as a coach, mm-hmm. I think there have been many times that I have been um, – the encourager and the yeah. builder and yeah. the the speaking the positive words and speaking life, but I have also fallen short and yeah. not been the best either. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really, really powerful the impact that words can have on us. Uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot when I'm coaching uh, leaders or doing sessions or what have you with a group is I talk about challenge and encourage. Yeah. So effective leaders, coaches, anybody in influential positions have to understand that sometimes I need to challenge a person to get the best out of them. Sometimes I need to encourage a person to get the best out of them. Mm-hmm. It depends on where they are, mm-hmm. who they are, and how they receive feedback. And as a leader, it's my job to be in tune with what their hot button is if the hot button is a challenge then that's what i do if the hot button is it is to encourage then that's what i do but every time when i put that challenge out there when they meet that challenge i need to then go back and encourage right or they're working through that challenge and i see progress and movement i need to then encourage and that's part of what a skillful leader or coach needs to be able to do And so sometimes, oftentimes, we run into coaches that they were challenged their whole career, Mm -hmm. and that's all they know how to do, (laughs) right? And so that comes off, and if you're not strong enough as the person being led or being coached, it can have a negative effect. Obviously, based on what we're talking about for the two of us, we had some inner strength and some encouragement in the bank that helped us make it through that. Uh, And I'll tell you, one of my favorite coaches was my defensive backs coach in college. Mm. He's one of my favorites. This dude would yell, cuss, say stuff the whole (laughs) practice. But at the end of the day, if he got on to you, then he also would encourage you mm-hmm. after practice or even later on on the next play or whatever. Yeah. And so you almost did not want to disappoint him. So that's why you didn't mind the challenge. Yeah. And I can remember real quick, I can remember when I was still playing quarterback, 
and we'd be at practice and I would hear him talking to the DBs. I was like, man, that dude is funny. <laughs> I wouldn't mind playing for him. Yeah. And then he kept on telling me my first two years, man, you need to come over here. You don't need to be playing that quarterback. You're oh. really a defensive back. And, you know, I had not played defense since my freshman year in high school, so it had been a while. But when I had the injury and moved over, it was the greatest thing for me. I wish I had done it earlier yeah. because I enjoyed myself so much. Uh, but that, that cascades into things outside of sports. I took a job one time to be a vice president of a company mm -hmm. because the CEO invited me to a luncheon and – they were they had some kind of employee activity going on mm -hmm. at that luncheon, right? And he said, "Come, come have lunch with me at our employee activity, and mm -hmm. help me judge this competition." Mm -hmm. They come up with this crazy competition, which he was known for doing things like that. <laughs> they come up with this crazy competition, and he needed two or three other people to be judges. Mm -hmm. And what he was doing was recruiting me. I didn't know it at the time, wow. but I was amazed because as we're walking through. All these employees just came up and talked to him and greeted him like he was their favorite uncle. And I was like, this man has this kind of magnetic mm -hmm. personality and influence over these folks. And he's the CEO of this company. I have not experienced that before. And I'd worked for good CEOs before and had been on executive teams before at that point. But the CEOs that I worked for mostly said, hey, here are our goals. Here's what we're trying to do and let's work together to get there. Yeah. So they did have that people side of things and mm -hmm. that relationship side of things, but they didn't necessarily lead with that. They led with the task side, but incorporated. I would say they had good balance, balance yeah. as it related to their wake, right? But this guy, his wake was like way relationship side mm -hmm. on the front end. Now you get in meetings behind closed doors, he very much was by the numbers let's make sure these numbers work but what i learned is that people at the company it seemed like they would run through a brick wall to please him so he knew his strength mm -hmm. was that relationship side he built that significantly and then he had two or three people on the team that were more the task side and and he managed and led them so that they could manage and lead everybody else and i've not seen that approach before so the only reason I took that job, well, they paid me well, <laughs> but I was intrigued at his style, his leadership style. So I wanted to learn that. Yeah. And I think it's helped me, you know, uh, balance well. Did you have full on conversations with him about how he'd become the leader that he had? Or did you just did you learn by watching both? both? Uh, well, probably more. I don't know that we had conversations about his leadership style. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, in specifically, mm -hmm. but I was watching how people responded to him and I understood why. Yeah. And it was because he knew everybody's name. He would walk down the hall whistling sometimes. He would um, ask about somebody's aunt. You know, he just and, and took pride in doing that. Yeah. And, you know, he would tell you behind, if you were on the executive team, he would tell you behind closed doors that part of the reason that he was walking through the hall was he was seeing the people were working. And he would always whistle or snap his fingers and, and so forth as he was coming through because if they weren't working and they knew he was coming, they would start working. 
And so he had a method to his madness, yeah. but people loved him, and I saw why. Let's talk about leaders who have realized I'm in this leadership role, and I am not very good. Mm. What do you recommend for those type of people that I have been put in this leadership role because I am equipped to do the job and I'm talented and I'm better than everyone around me. And people liked me when I before I got this role. Mm -hmm. But now that I've stepped into this leadership role, I find and I'm aware that there are holes in me as a leader that I had that are being exposed and I need to improve what what does that person do you know first i don't know that that people would often recognize that their performance their really? performance may may indicate it but i don't know that they would often recognize that it's because they're not leading well so let me let me say that first wow so i would say if your performance or the the performance of the group that you're leading is not where it needs to be then chances are there are some things that you can do better as a leader and it's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of people become leaders because they were doing well as a practitioner in that space. And so they got a promotion, right. but that doesn't mean that they automatically know how to lead. Correct. So first thing I would say is if you find that there are some struggles, whether you believe that you're a part of that reason or not, then one good thing is to reach out to a coach. Call me. You know, I, I do leadership development and coaching uh, as a part of the work that we we do through my firm but that's the first thing I would say is you probably need some help and you need to be able to see yourself whether that's through a 360 feedback kind of process or whether that's through just an assessment that you do and then you and the coach or someone can help facilitate the process of you putting together uh, a plan of action that will help you one accentuate your strengths but two, get competent, not great in your weaknesses, but at least be competent there. And then you can figure out how to fill in the gaps. Because that, to me, that's what really can help is yeah. getting some outside help so that you have somebody who can see the forest because they're not down in the middle of the trees like you are. Okay. And this is my last question. You are a leader um, at your former job, let's just say you were COO, CEO at your last job, and now you're getting a promotion as a CEO for maybe a larger company now, and you're going into where you're the new leader on the block. Everybody's been there for years. Everybody knows everybody, and you're the new leader. What advice would you give someone who is walking into a situation where I'm the new person in charge, I don't know anybody here, how would that person come in and lead? What, what would be your recommendations on how that person would come in and lead? See, I think it's critical when you start in a new role, the first thing that you want to make sure that you do is come in and understand the culture that exists today. Understand where the leaders are within the organization. Understand where the opportunities are. So first come in understand what really is going on you can't learn all of that through an interview process right but once you come in and learn and understand it then you see what you're really faced with and along the way you may already have a vision going in but that vision may shift a little bit as you learn and understand what's happening there 
So I tell people all the time, don't go in just immediately trying to change things. Mm-hmm. Go in first. I call it leading with inquiry. Ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Get a sense for what things are. Share some little tweaks if you have them that might help along the way. But then once you've gotten a good understanding of the total picture, then pull together who you deem to be the key leaders, the key influencers, and you guys start with what you see as a as an opportunity and then come up with the collective vision mm-hmm. that you then can put in place, put some strategy behind, and then you guys together can communicate and execute from there. That's very general, generic response to your question because industry, other nuances, size of organization, there are a lot of factors that affect how quickly and the way that you do that. But the the key is don't just come in there trying to flip everything immediately. Come in first to seek to understand where you are and then start to implement your change. Yeah. We see that happen a lot in the sports world. Yep. A new coach will get the job and come in and just change everything. Mm -hmm. And I have actually seen it as a coach, uh, maybe not in the program that I was working in, but just like maybe the new football coach was hired or the new men's basketball coach was hired. And I have sat back and watched how those who have been at those institutions for years respond to coaches who come in and do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes it's well received. Yeah. And sometimes it's not. See, I would I would say and there may be other exceptions, but I would say coaching is probably an exception to that approach because the leash that coaches get, especially in major college sports, is so short. Mm. So you almost have to come in and make change immediately with the staff and others. But the other thing that makes that different, though, is as a part of the process to get a head coaching job, you get to do that vetting and all that along the way mm-hmm. because they bring you in ADs, you talk with other people, you know other coaches from the conference or that have been on staff at that place. So you get mm-hmm. a chance to get that immediately. Mm-hmm. You can bring the athletes in, have a meeting, talk with them, understand kind of where their mental is. Right. You can work them out depending on, of course, the time of year it is, but you get them and see them in a workout. You can go look at film. So a lot of that is different. Like you can't go look at film of the IT manager and see if the IT manager is doing the job well or not. You see what I'm saying? So you have to get in there and understand it differently than coaching. But coaching, um, that's why I said the industry depends. Mm -hmm. You can get that stuff. You can go through that process faster and where it may take 90 days in the corporate arena, it might be day three that you can make wholesale changes or come in the door with them. Yeah. So is there anything that we've left on the table that we have not talked about as far as leadership, communication, words in leadership that you'd like to share with my listeners before we close out? There's a lot that we've left on the table. In fact, people don't realize this, but leadership is the most researched subject Mm. in business. There are more PhDs and more research studies done on leadership than any other area in business. And that's because it really is not a science. Right. It's an art. And I think that's why that answer to your first question is a little bit vague in terms of are leaders born or made. It's really hard to tell. So 
anytime you want to come back and talk about some specific components other than communication, like we talked about today right. related to leadership, if you want me to come back, I'm happy to do so. Uh, we can set it up to where, you know, we have, what, what do they call it on some of these things where, you know, there's a periodic guest that comes yes. each time, you yes. know, we'll set up some questions and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Let's I do would it. love that. I would love that. I would love for these three things to be a vehicle for those who listen, who are operating in leadership roles to have like a monthly leadership yeah, conversation yeah. because, you know, I am intrigued by leadership. I think that I have been successful as a leader at times. And sometimes I think I have failed miserably as a leader sometimes. And in both cases, you learn, you learn Absolutely. what you've done well and you learn what you need to do better. Um, Nobody's undefeated. Nobody's undefeated. So, you know, it's fine to not be great yes. every time, but you have to learn from your losses. Well, let's figure out a good strategy on how to do it because what I would love to do is have your leaders in some capacity either get questions out yes. in advance that we can address or if I don't know if you ever do anything live, we could do something like that. But that would be awesome. let's make it about them and what they want. And, uh, and and do it that way. Okay. So while we figure out the live piece and how we could get together and connect and get that done, uh, for all of my listeners who are in leadership roles, or if you just have questions about leadership in general, please send those questions to these three things podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I will deliver those questions to Alfonso. We'll have a chance to sit down and talk about them. And then in our next episode, we will address your questions and, uh, work on getting a live so you guys can come and join us live and ask your questions in the live recording and um, become better leaders out here. That's the goal. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, thank you, Fonz. It's always good to talk to you. You know, I love your brain. I tell you that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> My it's pleasure. so much to know and you have so much to, to share. So well, I do appreciate you coming on. I have been blessed by the Lord with the ability to think and process. And I recognize that. So he, he has given me some things that uh, I don't know why he chose me, but I'm grateful. So I appreciate you saying that. All right, queens, kings, and good people. That's it for this episode on leadership with Alfonso Alexander. Please send your questions that you may have for Alfonso at these three things podcast at gmail.com. I know you're waiting for your three things, but since we're going to start a series, we won't need a three things. We're going to have an opportunity to talk more about leadership in the future. I'm looking forward to it, and I will see you guys on the next episode of These Three Things. <laughs>